Support for this podcast comes from PayPal. Small business owner, PayPal QR codes are the safe and easy payment option. It's all the security PayPal is known for online, in person. Cash only, QR codes allow you to accept credit or debit with everyday low fees. No additional hardware or software needed. Use the app to generate your unique QR code. Customers scan your code with their PayPal app to pay you. Learn more at paypal.com slash us slash get QR code. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing. Hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Oh, hey there. Welcome right in. You're tuned into The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. I am your host, Josh Carey. Today is a very special episode for a variety of reasons, least of which we are joined by a PodMax Global alumni, someone who (laughs) dove, you like that, right? Somebody who dove right (laughs) in and uh, plowed through some fear that I know was there, but still decided to come into the mix get himself on shows, and make it all happen. He was certainly a standout. I hope he felt it. I know we sure did on our end. It is Cardwell Thaxton. He's the owner of the Cardwell Thaxton Group, a real estate group. He buys and sells homes in New Jersey and more. We're going to learn not only about that aspect of things, but why that aspect of things. And as you know, that's really the exciting part for me. Let's bring him right onto the show. It is Cardwell Thaxton. What's doing, Cardwell? It's all good, man. How's it going on your end? I imagine. Good, uh, good, good. Glad to hear it. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm glad to hear it is all good. So I had mentioned that you are a PodMax Global alum, right? You went through the process. You dove in. I also said that there might have been a little bit of fear, call it what you will, going in. Was there, as much as you remember, was there uh, a bit of stuff that you personally had to work through to, to get yourself and to sort of put yourself out there? Oh, of course. Uh, you don't want to come across like an idiot. All right. Uh, my thinking was, well, I don't think I'm 45 minutes worth of interesting. All right. Maybe eight minutes worth of interesting. Maybe eight. All right. But 45 minutes worth of interesting, I don't think so. So I, I, I decided to just put myself in the hands of the experts. All right. And uh, just let you guys do what you do and go from there. I mean, the worst that can happen is you hit the lead, right? <laughs> Here we go from there. So you, you take chances. And, uh, you, you know, it's, it's becoming a cliche now, but it seems like when they talk to people who know that they're dying and you ask them about their life and if they have any regrets, more people have regrets about the things that they didn't do as opposed to the things that they did do, all right? Mm-hmm. Because life will balance out. If you do something, you know, it'll, it'll balance out. Uh, you end up paying for it or whatever, what goes around comes around or whatever. But it, it seems like most of the regrets are on things that they didn't do with their lives. So 
I jump in, you know. So I mean, you, you know, you go to my uh, my Facebook page. You see, I've skydived. Uh, I, I, I just do it. Just do it. You know, and, yeah. and let the chips fall. You're really, you're really speaking my language. With um, first of all, I love the phrase. I didn't think I had 45 minutes worth of interesting. Maybe eight, but certainly not 45. <laughs> and you were, you, you've been on a handful that of was, shows. Was right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you've, and you've been on shows, and I know that they lasted for more than eight minutes. And there's so much truth to that. You, you admitted your fear. You said, I didn't want to look like a fool, or I didn't want to, you know, look idiotic like that. And that is something we all have to get over because nobody wants to look foolish in their actions and what they do. But you also said something phenomenal, which is it's all going to balance out. Because even if you, quote unquote, do wind up looking like a fool, A, it's going to be temporary, and B, you are going to wind up being better in the long run because of it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. To, to grow, you have to step out of your comfort zone. All right. Yeah. Uh, if you want the muscle to get bigger, you have to work it. And that's the only way. You can't just think about it. You have to work it. So... <laughs> Once again, you just jump in. No fear. No fear. Okay. No. Uh, can you see oh. that? Yeah. What is that? My tattoo. You see it? Yep. What does it say there? No fear. So you have that tattooed onto your left shoulder bicep area. Well, I have a bad memory, so I needed to, <laughs> to post it there so I could see it and remind myself. You know? No fear. How long ago yeah. did you get that? Uh, maybe over a year ago. Oh, really? Maybe like 15 months ago. Recently? Yeah. 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 As I say, to remind myself. What yeah, was, no fear. What was going on uh, at that point that you made that powerful decision to say, it's going to be the words, no fear? You know, I'm not sure. I'm not, I don't remember. It was just something in my spirit that just told me to do it, to do it. Um... I'm not sure what the answer is, exactly what it was, but it's just these things just come up. You know, when you spend some quiet time meditating, and I do that, uh, just certain things will come up. You know, and uh, that's what my spirit told me to do. Get that tattoo. No no fear. And that's how you, I should live. No fear. That's, okay. Yeah. And, 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 and it's working out. So you're the owner of the Cardwell Thaxton Group, which, which buys and sells homes predominantly in New Jersey, right? Uh, yeah, well, we do everything. I'm an appraiser. I'm an investor. I'm a realtor. So, Josh, I'm addicted to real estate. That's what it's about. All right? I'm addicted to real estate. My uh, appraisal business, of course, is under the Cardwell Thaxton Group umbrella. But if it's about real estate, that's what I'm about. You say addicted to real estate, which is evident, which means you're, 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 doing, you're doing right online because when I, when I look you up, when I read your profiles, wow, is it evident that you are not only addicted to real estate, but I guess it's, it's almost one and the same. You are passionate, passionate about real estate, which I'm guessing there's something there to be addicted to something may also be the other side of the same coin. You're probably very passionate about it. And that is so evident in everything you do. Um, how much of a uh, 
deliberate nature was that to enter real estate? Were, were, were you called to it? Were you driven to it? Did you find yourself? Did you make it a point to enter real estate? Well, that's interesting. Uh, almost 20 years ago, my, my then wife, who was in mortgages, she decided that she might be interested in appraising. All right. So she took some classes and decided she didn't like it. All right. But she says to me, you know, you should check out this appraisal thing. You probably would like it because you like numbers. You know, so you should look into it. All right. Well, I wasn't really that familiar with uh, real estate appraising. And uh, but I looked into it. I said, OK, this does sound interesting. I decided to take some classes on it. I passed the classes, the tests and everything. And I said, yeah, I do like this. I really do like this. And uh, the challenge then was to find a mentor to, to get a, uh, a license in the state. You have to serve a two-year apprenticeship, all right? And I think it's, you have to uh, have two hour, or 2,000 hours of supervised work with a mentor. I think it's 2,000. It might be different. Like I said, this was almost 20 years ago now. Oh, wow. It might be more. It might be a little bit less. But that was basically, the 2,000 hours ended up being maybe a little less than two years, maybe a little bit more than two years, depending on how, you, you know, how the work flowed. So I ended up doing that. Now, <laughs> the hardest part for most people is finding a mentor, uh, okay? The, uh, because everybody, even though they may be a good, a, a good at what they do, everyone is not cut out to be a teacher or a coach. And a lot of people just don't want to do it. But you would think that each one teach one. I mean, you had to go through it. So each one teach one. But a lot of people just aren't cut out for it. So the hardest part was to find a, a mentor. So there's an organization, I guess the main organization for appraisers called the Appraisal Institute. And every state or city or whatever has a chapter. Uh, New Jersey has three, uh, North, Central, South. I found out when the next meeting was, decided to attend the meeting to see if I could find someone that would mentor me. Got there early. They were still setting up. And uh, I decided I was set at a table they had set up because it had a direct view of the lectern. Uh, so I could see the speaker. And it was close to the buffet. So <laughs> sweet spot. That was the sweet spot. Few feet from the buffet, direct vision. Of the lectern. Know what you right. want, Cardwell, well, right? Just know what you want. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sitting there as people are starting to come in. Find out that this was the table for the current and all of the past presidents of that chapter. So once things settle, <laughs> That's amazing. Once things settled in, I said, oh, okay. Why shouldn't, okay, well, I guess I'll have to move. And they said, no, no, no. You can stay here. You know, once they heard my story that I'm brand new. Uh, just finished the class, you know, a few days ago. I'm looking for them. Oh, you just sit here. You know, you're okay. You're okay. Fantastic. Uh, so I'm hanging out with the, with the fellas. All right. Uh, 90 minutes later, of course, one of the guys leaves. Uh, before he leaves, he says, here, here's my card. Give me a call in the morning and let's see what we can, uh, we can work out. So he ended up becoming my mentor. And uh, a couple of years, about two and a half years later, of course, I sent for the exam. I, I passed the exam. I worked with him for maybe another year or so and decided to strike out on my own. Now, so that's how I became an appraiser with his own business. Now, from there, uh, after being in, I finally woke up and realized, you know what, you could probably make a lot more money uh, being a realtor, being a real estate agent. All right. Uh, a few hundred bucks for an appraisal. I mean, it's a lot of work <laughs> to make a to make a a, a grown up uh, income. 
so uh, about six or seven years ago, I decided to become a realtor. And then about two years ago, after seeing what's going on and finally giving some thought to this, and my spirit started telling me, yeah, you need to jump in and stop buying some of these properties, investing in real estate. You're getting to the point now, you want your money to be working for you. You know, mm. uh, uh, landlords make money in their sleep. <laughs> so that's how we ended up here today. All from my ex-wife saying, you ought to look into this. You know, you would like it. You mentioned twice during this show that your spirit was telling you. Tell me more about that. So you follow, same thing as, uh, as gut, intuition, God, soul. Is that what we're talking about? And, and you well, acknowledge that. that? Yeah. Yeah, all of that. And, and honestly, for the last three years, I've been meditating. Oh, yes. Me yeah, too. I learned how, yeah, finally, I learned how to meditate. I thought some people can teach themselves stuff. I realized I couldn't teach myself this stuff just watching YouTube videos and everything. It just wasn't working. So I found this organization, and I found it on the Meetup site. So you go there and you sit down with a guru, all right? And they teach you how to meditate. I think it was over three or four days. I think we started Friday, yeah, Saturday, Sunday for a few hours, ended up Monday evening, maybe a Tuesday evening. How do you meditate? meditate. How? Yeah. Okay. Well, we start off with some uh, breathing exercises and it's all about the breath. If you eat, no matter what type of meditation you look at, it starts with the breath and the calming down. All right. And then once you focus on the breath and just focus on that, you're able to clear everything out because you're focusing on that one thing. And then once you clear all of that out, things will just start bubbling up. Okay. In the beginning, it's it's a rush because there's so many things start bubbling up. All of a sudden, I'm thinking about some guy that was a, a, a buddy of mine for maybe first grade. I wonder what happened to Kenny. I haven't thought about Kenny in 50 years, you know. But uh, just it's just amazing the things that are in your subconscious right, bouncing around, you know. So you clear some of that up. And maybe after uh, many months or a year or so, all of a sudden, uh, you, you've cleared out a lot of that past stuff. And new things just start entering. And maybe you can start listening to your, your higher power or whatever you want to call it. Hmm. Uh, 20 years ago, when your then wife came to you and said, you should probably look to appraising, what was your career path at that point? I was in sales. Most of my life, I've been in sales. All right. I, th- I think at that point, as a matter of fact, I'm almost sure. At that point, I was actually a fundraiser for the United Way. Oh, uh, no. Yeah. Uh, prior to that, actually, in the 80s, and uh, 90s, early 90s, I, I was involved in cable. In the early part of the cable uh, experience, I was actually one of the people knocking doors and, and telling people, you, you, you folks should try out this new thing. It's cable television. And, uh, you know, trying to persuade people to pay $20 a month for television. All right. And, of course, the main objection was, well, look, I get, I get five channels for free. Why exactly. would I pay $20 for television? Oh, okay. Yeah, so that was in the very beginning. All right. Well, as time went on, of course, people would chase the truck. They didn't need us to knock on doors and tell people about this new great thing. Right. They didn't need that anymore. So I eventually got into the commercial side, selling our advertising spots on the different shows, which was what I uh, got heavily into once we moved to New Jersey. I always feel like whenever I 
hear about somebody being in sales or have the conversation about selling, I always respect and admire it a great deal because I truly believe it's, for one thing, it's extremely difficult to do right. And it's something that I feel not enough people give enough time and attention to learn. It's something that I think is a skill that can benefit people any stage of their lives. Like when people, you know, frown upon quote unquote selling, I, I always remind them that, you know what, a conversation with your kids is a sale. Yeah. There's, a, there's a selling negotiation there that you have to be aware of. Yeah. Even if you just want to sell somebody on your point or your idea or your frame of mind. Yeah. Um, you agree with something like that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, most people in sales will tell you exactly what you just said. Uh, Grant Cardone is great for, for, for putting that out there. Everybody sells. We all sell. All right. You may have uh, you know, a negative image in your mind of a salesperson, but everybody sells. Uh, everyone is not cut out to be a good salesperson. All right. You just don't have what it takes to be a good salesperson, but we all sell. All right. And I've always enjoyed it. Yeah. But it is something that you could you can learn skill, strategy, and technique. And I always I always try to drive that point home. I noticed one of the things in your in your about section on on one of your profiles, it says that you specialize in properties that did not sell the first time. It's a very oh, interesting. Yeah. It's a very interesting and uh, probably a great aspect because it really targets a specific person. Why are you drawn to, to that aspect of things? Well, those are, uh, I guess in the business, we would call those expired listings. Well, they were on the market for probably six months, maybe three, six months, and they didn't sell for whatever reason. It could be because of the salesperson maybe wasn't doing a good job. In most cases, it's the seller. The seller won't listen. Mm. Okay, and um, so at that point, I, I used to I, I like to specialize in that because number one, that person has already raised their hand and said, "I want to sell my house." Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. Now, okay. Yeah. So yeah. So so now it's you. Okay. So you had your house on the market for three months, six months, or whatever, and it didn't sell. Are you ready to listen now? Okay, we can get it sold if you're still motivated to sell it, but maybe you're ready to listen now, okay? Uh, oftentimes, you'll have people who just, they think the house is worth more than it is, and they won't, they won't listen to what the public is saying, all mm. right? The house is overpriced, or they won't do anything to, to make it appealing, okay? If nothing else, dude, get a storage show, get a storage uh, room and get some of this junk out of here so people can see what they might be buying. You know, you, you've been living here 50 years now, you have all this clutter, you know, at least let's, let's create some space. So anyway, I like that type of person or those spies because now they're ready to listen. If they, if they really are motivated, mm. now they're ready to listen to a person. Okay. And we're going to sell the property. All you have to do is listen to me. Okay. Huh. You're in luck. You got me. We're going to sell it. Okay. See, what's amazing is that's the confident Cardwell that I know. 
But right, because I'm guessing you you've taken the time you've you've been in that industry and you I mean, my goodness, it's genuine. It's confident. It's something we all need. Like like you just said, hey, you're working with Cardwell. I got this. You got this. We are in this together. You are in good hands. Uh-huh. But when it comes to guesting on shows, another side of Cardwell comes out and you say, <laughs> I don't have 45 minutes of interesting, maybe eight minutes. I got to get that on a t-shirt. I don't have 45 <laughs> minutes of interesting. It's such a great quote. Hey there, entrepreneurs. Eric Cabral here, founder of On Air Brands and host of the Entrepreneur Circle and Capital Hacking. I wanted to share something truly unique with you that we've created called Pod Max, which is an amazing opportunity to connect you with major podcasts to help you share your fascinating stories with their communities. This unique invitation-only event includes interviews with you on top-rated business podcasts all in one day. It also provides a unique networking opportunity with high-performance guests and thought leaders who are authors, coaches and consultants, investors, speakers, executives, you name it. These are the type of people that you need to be around. We also provide industry expert keynotes to hit our stage to share insights on podcasting, investing, marketing to help you take things to the next level. And the cool thing about Podmax is that it has a multimedia agency engine behind it with on-air brands to provide social media promotions before and after the event to share your brand new shows with your network. So hit the apply now button at podmax.co and I hope to see you at the next Podmax event. Like all of us, we, we have our confident nature inside and we know what we're good at, but then we all have our insecurities and we all have insecurities, which I use to help make me more confident and secure, knowing that nobody really has it all figured out. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And I guess there's more, we think more about, well, I want to stay in my lane. That's not really my lane. Oh, that's not really my, my zone or whatever. And, uh, so we hold back. We hold back. But life is an adventure, dude. I mean, life is an adventure. You know? <laughs> when I'm laying on my deathbed and the lights are starting to go out, you know? oh, I just say, yeah, yeah, it, it was a blast. It was a blast. I don't want the lights starting to go out and I'm thinking I should have done this. I should have said that. Uh, you know, now, uh, as I'm sliding into the home, it's just, hey, <laughs> it was a blast. So, and, uh, true. so true. And hopefully on the other side, hopefully, hopefully on the other side, God will meet me and say, well done. <laughs> when I, I mean, it's knowing Cardwell now, and we've only known each other for a couple of months, and I see the way you are now, you're, you're passionate, you're energetic, you are enjoying life with, with certainly no regrets and no fear. Was it always like this growing up? As a teen, oh, no. as a young adult, were you confident, happy-go-lucky? No, of course not, man. I had to unlearn a lot of things my heroes and role models taught me. <laughs> like what? Well, you know, just growing up, uh, just the things that your heroes, your role models teach you, you know, the smoking, the drinking, the, the, the partying, the, the skirt chasing. I mean, just in the put-downs, you know, just the, the, the things that you're, that are part of the environment. And you're just, a, you're just a kid trying to fit in, trying to make your way. And um, it takes you a while to learn who you are or even to accept who you are, you know? And uh, that comes in adulthood, I think, from, at least for me, not as a kid, because you're trying things. You want to fit in, right? So if, if, if at some point, you, you get to the point where you just have to learn, well, this is who I am. and uh, 
it may help also if you meditate and connect with your higher power. <laughs> I agree with that now. Take me back to, to a young Cardwell Thaxton, if you will. What was life like growing up as a child for you? Was there tension and conflict? Hmm. Well, I was the first of seven kids. Right. Wow. Oldest yeah. of seven. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Younger than me. All right. Now, there are, no, there are no twins in my family. Okay. There are no twins. So understand that. I'm three years old. I have two younger sisters, all right, already. Mom is pregnant again. <laughs> I'm three. <laughs> so this is an every year occurrence? Man, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. You know, I was joking at, at, at the uh, service for him. I had, I'm sure people were saying, you know, somebody needs to throw a bucket of ice water on these two. You know, she's cranking them out. So my brother was born exactly 30 days before my fourth birthday, all right? So I have three siblings now, and I'm three, okay? So anyway, it, it ended up being a large family. And uh, I'm the first. They actually moved from Virginia to Washington, D.C., to the city where there were some, a lot of opportunities for work and all that stuff. So I actually grew up in D.C. Uh, uh, very, I got there when I was very young, so I actually started school in D.C. Okay. Um, but, uh, so you're just making your way. My folks are from the country. They don't really understand the city. Looking back, I think in some ways they're a little afraid of how fast things are and everything. Um, I do, sometimes I know when I was meditating, I got a couple of flashes in the playground laughing at me and making fun of me, okay? And I, I never could figure out how, because it was just a flash, just a flash. So I'm, I'm probably like five, six or something like that. Now, when I look back at old photos, I'm thinking it was probably the way I was dressed because mom had me in some clown outfits. <laughs> Didn't we all? Weren't we all that way? So these kids are making fun of me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Some of that crap. These old black and white photos. So anyway, it was just trying to fit in, you know, just trying to fit in and, and find your way. Here, I, I was the first kid of my uh, parents' generation. So all their brothers and sisters spoiled me. All right, I'm the very first one. So they would spoil me. My aunts would fight the babysit me, you know, and all that sort of thing. So I come from that kind of environment. And now we're up in D.C., up in the big city, I guess. And, and, and you know, it's, it's different, you know. So I had to find my way. What were your um, parents doing for work in D.C.? My father was a bricklayer. He called himself a brick mason. Yeah, okay. sure. Uh, mom was, what they called back in those days, uh, a homemaker. Good Lord, she had she had six kids. <laughs> the, the seventh one wasn't born until I was almost 17. I was almost out of the house. Oh, okay. So while he was a toddler, I was actually making my exit <laughs> from the house. All right. So, yeah, she had six kids. Uh, so her job was homemaking, just supervising us. Yeah. Wow. So I guess going back to answer your question, it was just, Trying to learn who I am. You know, you're watching television. You're seeing uh, different people. You're trying to model yourself after. My dad was a big drinker, so all of his friends drank. You know, and, and the truth is, you know, he had a drinking problem. But I don't know. I think back on I'm I'm kind of amused now. I'm thinking he married this cute little thing, and several years later, he, he has an obese wife and six kids. I probably started drinking a little heavier, too. You know, I, I don't know. His sister, my aunt, tells me he'd like to party anyway. 
before then. <laughs> so, uh, it, I guess it, it, it took me a while to, to, to gain that confidence. And then when and, you were 17 uh, or 18 and getting, getting ready to leave the home, where'd you go at that point when you left home? Uh, well, I just moved into my own place. By then, I was going to school. I was in college at the time and working. I had a, I had a sales job, as a matter of fact. So, and a, a store that was, there was a small chain in the D.C. area, just similar to like a Circuit City or Best Buy yeah, yeah, at the time. Yeah. And I think they had like seven, eight stores in the DMV, the District, Maryland, Virginia area. All right. Uh, so, yeah, I was a salesperson in there. And uh, that went on for several years, as a matter of fact, uh, just being in school, uh, working part time, partying. You know, smoking lots of weed, drinking lots of uh, cheap wine, Zappa Apple, Boone's Farm, uh, and graduating on up to the adults, you know, because that's what my role, that's what guys did, right? We smoked cigarettes, we chased women, we drank, we partied, okay? That was the lifestyle of the rich and famous, right? <laughs> so, yeah, so that's, that's what that was all about. At that, so, young, uh, at that young age, did you have any sort of aspirations or dreams or goals that you were like, oh, one day, this is, this is what I'm going to do? Uh, not specifically. I just knew that, okay, well, we, I was always pointed towards college. I was told from elementary school, you know, you're going to go to college. You're smart. You, should, you know, you want to go to school, get a degree. Uh, and once you, uh, you get good grades, you graduate, you get a good job. And growing up in D.C., of course, it's you get a good government job, right? <laughs> that's, that's the main industry in D.C., right? So you get that good government job. Uh, so once again, that's what my role models uh, was, were drilling into my head. Um, looking back on that, uh, I realized I always had an entrepreneurial spirit. But it was being suppressed because my role models, my heroes were said, no, get good grades and you get a job. All right. Mm. You start a business, mm. you know, totally different conversation from what Donald Trump you're having around the dinner table with his kids. All right. Totally different conversation. No, you get a job. Now I always had an entrepreneurial uh, thing in my head and the way I carried myself. I mean, I would, I, I had a few people in the community who's grasped, I would cut in the summer or whose walks I would, would uh, shovel in the winter. So I was always looking for ways to make money, okay? Uh, because that's what I was told. Look, if you want to have, we don't have a lot of money. If you, want, if you need money, then you have to work. You need a job. Well, I want a job. I want money, right? I want a job. So I was always looking for ways to do that, to make money. Some work, some did. I, I had a wagon. I would go down, up to the grocery store on, on uh, Friday evenings and on Saturday and, and carry people's groceries uh, for them home. You could make money doing that at the time. Uh, whatever uh, way it was legal to make money, I, I was about that, just starting my own thing. I, I look at I look back now, and you know, you read some of these articles about these kids who uh, their dad would buy them three or four lawnmowers, and these kids will recruit people to work for them and go mow lawns, and they start a business. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, that could have almost might have been me, <laughs> you know. But it's just starting a business was not what was drilled into my head. Getting a job was what was drilled into my head. Yeah, you know, somehow my spirit. I think I was really built. To have my own business, honestly, that's the way I was built. Yeah, and here we are. And it took, you know, a few decades. Yeah, it took a few decades to come to grips with that. 
Amazing. Why do you think um, making money was so important to you when it was? Oh, because you grew up poor. Okay, there's a lot of people. Yeah, you, you grow up poor. Money is important. I mean, I never had anything uh, that was in style, okay, in school. So whatever the style was, I didn't have it. I didn't care about style. My mom was shopping price. Oh, they did. They shopped price. All right? So to get anything stylish as a teenager, uh, uh, I had to go out and make some money. And then I could go buy the stuff that all the kids were wearing or that was trending at the time. What was whatever was fashionable. I had to get that. Back then, you had layaway. So uh, I could go put something in layaway and then, uh, you know, cut some lawns or shovel snow or carry gross, whatever, you know, make one and go pay on it every week. And then you go visit your layaway, you know, just to go, let let me look at it. I'm here to make a payment, put $10 on it and just let me look at it because eventually I'm going to have this outfit, you know, eventually I'm going to have these shoes or whatever. So that that was fun. So, Um, so, but just growing up poor. and And when you're poor like that and you have a lot of sisters and brothers and you tell, your parents when you want something you say well i can't buy you that you know your sisters and brothers need so and so or we need this money for for this and that you know so you realize you know i need to make some money if i'm gonna have anything if these if i'm gonna be like the kids over over there the cool kids you know i need to start wearing these things i need to have some uh what we call in those days chuck taylors okay or converse okay and and, in dc that we just call them chucks uh, uh, talking to people uh, who grew up in other areas, they call them converses or cons or whatever. So, yeah, if I wanted that, well, those shoes are, Chuck Taylor's were $12 a pair. My mom was not paying her $12 for those damn tennis shoes. <laughs> so I had to go out and make money if I wanted to wear Chucks. Okay. And just on and on and on and on. So, yeah, poverty is, is a good motivator. Right? How, how look, <laughs> looking at your, your outlook today, versus that how do you how do you spend money or value money in relation to that era of your life in relation to that era of my life hmm. like what's changed uh well being older now uh having buried a couple of siblings and my parents uh and just seeing the stuff that people have collected that once they're gone, no one really cares about anymore. You know, Josh, no one is going to, you know, stand up at your funeral and and say, well, you know, he, you know, he had a great sofa and some nice shoes. And that television on the wall was just phenomenal. Yeah. They're not going to say that. No one cares about that. And you know, when you're cleaning and when you're cleaning out your, your brother's apartment or your sister's house and, and you're looking at all this stuff and you're holding it up and says, does anyone want this? And it's like, no, damn, it was so important to them. And it's, it's going out in the big green trash bag on the curb, you know, but it was so important. And at this point, you just realize that life is not about stuff. It's not about stuff. And this thing of uh, wanting a pair of Chuck Taylors to impress the cool kids. Well, at this point in my life, I don't care about impressing the cool kids anymore. It's just who cares about stuff? Right. So it's so funny how you you go from one end to the other end. And um, it's about life experiences and uh, making people's lives better now, actually making people's lives better now and leaving that impression, making people miss you. No one is going to miss you because you're at a great 82 inch television up on the wall or you were driving a Lamborghini. Right. 
they're not gonna miss you for that. They're gonna miss you because of uh, the impact you had on their lives. That's what they're gonna miss you for. What are you doing uh, ritualistically, day in and day out, aside from meditating, which you already shared, what other couple of things do you do to keep, to keep a sound mind and joy in the heart? Exercise, well, prayer and meditation, exercise, and I stay in contact with the next generation, even if it's just a text, good morning, uh, enjoy your day. I like to send videos to my nieces and nephews. You know, just, this is your morning shout out. <laughs> just stay in touch. I want to leave a legacy, or at least I want to leave a, leave a legacy. And uh, part of that is going to be just great memories. You know, like I say, stuff they're not going to care too much about. But it's the great memories and the times. And wow, you know, I sure miss Uncle Cardwell. The answer to your question is exercise, pray and meditate, and stay in touch with the, with the kids. Touch the future somehow. <laughs> yeah. What is, the, um, what is the core message Cardwell likes to share? The core message? Hmm. I never thought of what's, what is, do I have a core message? I guess live the life you were born to live. Just live the life you were born to live. Part of that, I, I just hate to keep bringing back to the spiritual thing. But no. part of that is understanding who you are. You know, that's definitely part of that is understanding who you are. And uh, I try to figure out just why are you here? What, what are your strengths? What is it that you bring to the world? Um, was it Mandela that said that um, you don't you don't serve you don't serve the world by uh, hiding your light? It was something. It, it, it's it's not the, it's not the exact quote, right? But basically, said we all bring something to this world. We were hit put here for for a reason, and you're not serving the world by hiding your light. I. And in scripture, they talk about salt and light. Uh, generally, when you step into the room, the whole flavor, the whole the whole vibe should change because you're in there, all right? There's, you should, I should be exuding something that people look towards you and say, I want what he has. Wow, look at Josh Carey. I want what he has. There's something about that guy. Uh, so I guess discover who you are and be who you are, unabashedly unashamed. Uh, that's the best I can give you without giving them more thought, Josh. My goodness, that's absolutely beautiful. I mean, you're you're preaching to the hidden entrepreneur here. So if anybody understands <laughs> playing small and hiding, I get it. And now, you know, you know my story. I've made the point yeah. to say, no more of that nonsense. I have my yeah, two adoring yeah. children to look back at me whenever I'm falling short and remind me what I need to be reminded of. So uh -huh. that's wow, this has been, I mean, I'm just jotting quote after quote from Cardwell Thaxton. You want to talk about not having 45 minutes of interesting within you. We can go on for another hour and 45. And I mean that, Cardwell. You are. <laughs> this has been magnificent. <laughs> well, thank you, Josh. Thank you. Thank you very much. I, yeah. will I will leave you, like I do all my guests, with this final question. Cardwell Thaxton, how would you like to be remembered? Hmm. Is that your final question? For now. How would, you, how would you like to be remembered? Huh. As a, I guess I want to be remembered as a guy who did the best he could with what he was given. All right? I just did the best that we, he, he did the best that he could with what he was given. Uh, he's sorely missed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and he was, he was a, a great role model for many people.
I guess. I, yeah, my, my thing just keeps going back to the nieces and nephews, sisters and brothers. Great. You know, as I say, I was the first one out there, first college graduate and everything. So I just want them to remember me. God did the best that he could with what he had. And uh, like I say, when I get to the other side, I just want God to look at me and say, well done. Well done. That's it, Josh. Wow. Wow, this has been a treat and a pleasure, Cardwell. I mean that. I greatly enjoy talking to you. I thank you for coming on and opening up like you did and sharing your story, your thoughts with us. Very, very powerful stuff. Thank you, Cardwell. Thank you, Josh. I really appreciate you giving me the time. I know you're a busy man. There's a thousand people out there that you could talk to and interview that would be a lot more interesting than my eight minutes. Mm. But I really appreciate the time. Thanks a lot. You absolutely got it. And thank you, everybody, for tuning into this episode. I really appreciate having you tuning in. If you liked it, tell a friend. We're going to do this again before too long. Until we do, thanks again for tuning in. Go get them. Thanks for listening to The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Make sure to subscribe through iTunes or Google Play so you can get notified every time we publish a new episode. And we'd love to hear your thoughts with an honest review on iTunes. Finally, follow us on your favorite social media platforms to keep the conversation going with Josh Carey and today's guest. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.